Romans 10 and verse 19. But I say, did Israel, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not, I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is it no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. O oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. 
For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. May God bless this rich text to us. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, truly wondrous things are in the word. And now as your minister comes to preach, we know that he cannot preach the mysteries of God without the help of God. And so would you fill him with your spirit that he may preach and demonstrate the mind of God to the people of God. And may the people of God have open and ready minds, ready and able to receive this word as spiritual men and women and children, that they would receive this word as the word of truth insofar as it is in accord with the word of God. We ask, Father, that you would bless us now in the preaching of the word and that you would help me preach in a manner that their faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, today the scripture calls us to consider a great mystery, which is a mystery that is revealed to us, which is the present blindness of the Jewish people. And as the Bible here speaks of mysteries, you know that, and we've considered this before, that when the New Testament speaks of mysteries, they're not talking, the New Testament scriptures are not talking about things that are unknowable to us through the scripture, but they are mysteries that are unknowable to us apart from the scripture. But the scripture makes revealed to us. For instance, in 1 Timothy 3.16, you know this well, the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness is revealed to us that one we cannot know outside of the scripture, that God was manifest in the flesh to save us. So this is a mystery. How can man be reconciled to God? God reveals this mystery in 1 Timothy 3. So scripture speaks of mysteries, but these mysteries are revealed to us by God. Well, in our 25th verse, Paul says, we are not to be ignorant of a certain and particular mystery, which has to do with the future of the Jews and the future even of the church and of this world. The Holy Spirit in this text reveals that God's ancient people, I'll just be up front, we'll, we'll, we'll develop this, that God's ancient people, the Jews, will one day turn to Jesus and join us in the church of Jesus Christ. This is plainly the mind and will of God. And really, you know, sometimes I was talking to the elders about this in the morning. Uh, sometimes, right, we, we look to Revelation 20 and, and we try to understand some of the great mysteries of uh, the, uh, the, the millennium and the, age to, uh, the, the end of this age. And sometimes we miss what is plain under our nose is that the Bible is very optimistic here in Romans chapter 11 about the future of the church. And it's very plain and you would have to be quite backward and wayward to not recognize that be, uh, due to the events that will occur here in Romans 11 in time, a great and tremendous outpouring of God's spirit will come to this planet. And the product of this, as Paul says, will be something like the world revived from death to life. It's an astonishing thing that will happen and the nations will be greatly blessed in a way that we can scarcely grasp today. It would be a great understatement to say that Romans 11 is one of the greatest and grandest texts in all Scripture as it shows to us the promise of the glory that will come to the church when Jew and Gentile both are together. A glorious future awaits the church. And this is a text that we are called then not to be ignorant of as itself says why. Because to consider the glories of this text is really to lead us to the great doxology and praise at the end of it, to say, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. This is a text when understood will just make us exclaim, oh, blessed God, how great is your wisdom and knowledge. And so we are told not to be ignorant of it, and yet many of us are. So brethren, let us consider then the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God tonight with our theme, the blessed ingathering of the Jews, the blessed ingathering of the Jews. And as you know, this is a theme that is on the hearts of many today because of everything that's going on in the Middle East. And for the stability of our faith, 
We are to know particularly what Lord, the Lord has to say about the Jews, lest we become these end times enthusiasts who every time there's war in the Middle East believe that uh, the rapture or something like that is about to occur. No, we have a stable faith. We have a, a faith in which we have things that God has promised will come to pass before the end comes. And we're not to be ignorant of these things so that we may understand the mind of God in the future that he has for his church. So first, um, well, let me divide our time into three heads on your bulletin. First is the problem. Second is the purpose. And third is the promise. So first, the problem. Now, as I have alluded already, we cannot exhaustively consider the 11th chapter of Romans. My hope is to give you the contours of the Holy Spirit's argument as delivered through Paul. And this chapter, as you know, opens with a great problem. One many Christians are pondering today. Why have the Jewish people not turned to their Messiah? Why have they not, you know, Christ is a Jew, is born uh, into this world as a Jew. That was the plan of God. Why have the Jewish people not turned to their Jewish Savior, their Messiah? Because I think to us who are believers, it is plain to see to the regenerated mind that Jesus Christ is the only one who could be the Messiah of the Jews. That this is the one that they were looking for and were hoping for for centuries. This is the one that Moses said, the greater prophet who would come, hear him. The one Isaiah prophesied of in Isaiah 53 that would be crushed for our iniquities. The one Zechariah prophesied of in Zechariah 12, God incarnated, pierced for our iniquities. The prophecies concerning Christ to the Jewish church were too many to ignore the work he did, plain to see his resurrection from the dead, his life, the spread then of the church when the Holy Spirit comes as promised by the book of Joel at Pentecost, where the apostolic church now spreads the Hebrew scriptures to the ends of the earth, the knowledge of Jehovah spreading across the planet through Christ and his church. But why have the Jews not responded to him? Why hatred of Jesus instead of love? Has God, this is the question, hath God cast away his people? And that might have been the assumption of some Christians at the time of the epistle. So Paul addresses it head on. I say then, hath God cast away his people? Answer, God forbid. And he reminds the Romans that Paul was an Israelite himself. And so, of course, God hasn't cast off all of his people. And he reminds us as well of Israel's history, that it is often the case that there was only a remnant that remained, a, a true remnant in the midst of Israel in her darkest days. And we would have to say these are dark days for the Jews. And the majority of Israel in much of her history was not faithful. He says, are we so ignorant of the scripture concerning Elias, that is Elijah, boys and girls? Did Elijah himself not think he was all alone when he dealt with King Ahab, that apostate? But God said to Elijah, as the apostle says and reminds us, I have reserved 7,000 men in Israel. There's a remnant. And so in verse 5, the apostle says, Even so, then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There is a remnant, even at this present time, according to the election of grace. Paul was proof of it. The first apostles were proof of it. The majority of the early church was proof of it. Even today, there are millions of converted Jews in America. Estimates are about 1.6 million converted Jews just in our, um, in our nation. All, uh, not all, most Protestants. Um, in any case... In any case, there is a remnant of Jews presently faithful to the Lord, and he says, according to the election of grace. And Paul hones into one of the current stumbling blocks of the Jews presently, which is grace. Verse 6 says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. You know, Judaism which most Jews in some form acknowledge today, is a made-up religion, as you are probably aware. It's totally made up. It doesn't exist according to the scriptures. Um, 
It is something that they attempted to create when they realized that the temple is destroyed and they can no longer offer sacrifices and they were refusing to flee to Christ. So we make up a new religion called Judaism. Don't be deceived. Judaism is newer than Christianity. The Old Testament is Christianity, not Judaism. Now once, uh, but what is deeply ingrained in Judaism uh, is the need for works. You see that Christ contends with that. The apostles contend with that in the New Testament. Uh, but even today, you will recognize this if you witness with many Jewish people. You know, once I was evangelizing in Alabama with several other ministers, and I met this young Jewish man who was walking by, and I spoke to him, and I, uh, he was willing to hear me, and I spoke to him about Christ and how Christ is the Messiah of the Jewish, the Jewish people, and uh, I explained the grace of the Lord in the gospel, and he said, and this was what scandalized him, he said, no, I have to do good works. It goes back to what we saw this morning. This is deeply ingrained in them. He was refusing to see that salvation has to be totally and entirely of the grace of the Lord. He said, well, maybe, maybe I need some grace. But he refused to say, I need to be better. I need to be good. I need to show God. This is deeply ingrained in much of Judaism. Even when I showed him Psalm 51 out of his Old Testament uh, and Isaiah 53, he still, he was adamant he had to do his part. He seemed like a nice young man. He wanted to talk. He wanted to discourse. And, he, and you saw in his heart and his mind there were still things he was wrestling with. But he refused to give up on the idea that he had some part to play. The apostle alludes to that here. And uh, he also reveals why there is hardness and blindness presently in the Jews in verses 7 through 10. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them, let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. Now the apostles citing Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9, Isaiah 29, 10, and Psalm 69, 22 to 23. But the apostle leans on the word of God to explain what has happened to the Jews presently. This is not his own doctrine. He's not making up anything. This is God's. And he cites these texts to show that Israel for a time has been blinded and has been given the spirit of slumber. Yet the elect of Israel, those who are saved, those Jews that are saved, have obtained what Israel had sought after, which is salvation. So the elect, by grace, have found it. Men like Paul, men like John, and so on in the Old Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, you see clearly many Jews come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout history, there's large numbers of Jews that have come to the Lord, but they're still remnants. They're a remnant. The majority have been blinded, blinded, slumbering, deaf, and so on by the work of God. Now, God has done this. We'll see what the purpose is, but it is also necessary to understand what Paul means by Israel here because uh, in other places, in, at least in Galatians chapter 6, he speaks of the Israel of God. That's not the Israel that is here. By Israel here, he means Israel as an ethnic people, as an ethnic people. Uh, he speaks of the Israel of God in Galatians 6.16, speaking of all the elect. They are the Israel of God, those who believe on the gospel of the Lord Jesus. But in our chapter, because there is some confusion about this, and so we need to be clear, uh, Paul is speaking of Israel as ethnic Israel. Showing uh, This is shown in the text because they are shown to be distinct from Gentiles. But in the Israel of God in Galatians, Spiritual Israel, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Galatians three twenty-eight and 29, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So this is spiritual Israel. You are Abraham's seed by faith. This is a spiritual thing. But here he is speaking of Abraham's seed after the flesh. Ethnic Israel. So that understanding, and I wanted to mention that to clear that up, uh, we hear from our text that for a time, ethnic Israel has been blinded. Now, this is blindness 
because I think you understand, as I laid out earlier, this is an unreasoned and irrational blindness, isn't it? Like to, to the natural, even to the reasonable man, right? Looking at all of the promises of God, you would see that Jesus Christ, to reject Christ, is completely unreasonable. Ethnic Israel is rejecting their Messiah, the Christ of their own scripture. And they have rejected him to create a new religion. They have rejected their own scripture. You see that? The scriptures of the Old Testament are are hardly esteemed, especially their areas. They will not go because they know it points to Christ. And so they have rejected their own God and their own blessedness, desiring to earn salvation by works instead of by grace. But in every point of Israel's long history of apostasy, a faithful remnant has remained. Okay, so now you understand why it is that not all the Jews have come. God has blinded them for a time. Now we can ask, what is God's purpose in blinding the Jews? And will that blindness be forever, or is it a temporary condition? So let's consider our next heading, which is the purpose. And uh, as we continue to explore the contours of this chapter, uh, in the middle portion of it, we hear of the purpose given by the Lord for this blindness. Verse 11, I say then, Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So Israel will not, ethnic Israel will not completely fall. God will not allow that. Even now, as we have heard, there is a remnant. But here we find God's purpose in their stumbling and fall from their position. Why? so that salvation would come to the Gentiles. You remember the early persecution of the church, I trust. You can find that in the book of Acts, and you can find it even in the annals of church history. You remember the hostility of so many of the Jews and the refusal of the Jews to embrace their Messiah. And because of that, the gospel was shoved out of Jerusalem. It was kept from being, Christianity was kept from being a minor sect. It was kept from being just a minor local sect. And Paul, who was used to write this chapter, was keenly aware of this. In fact, this doctrine, as you know, is very personal for the apostle. You remember Acts chapter 13, the turning point in the early church. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which are spoken by Paul. So here's the apostle who writes Romans 11. And here is his own personal history where he faces enmity from his countrymen, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, speaking of the Jews, but seeing ye put it from you. And these are hard words, but come from God. And judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldst be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Now what's the response of the Gentiles? When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And as you know from the book of Acts, at this point, the mission to the Gentiles begins in earnest, And the church just explodes on the world stage. Christ, as prophesied, was a light to the Gentiles and for the salvation of the ends of the earth. And so he uses the hostility of the Jews to expel the Christian religion, which is the religion of the Old and New Testaments throughout the earth, that it would not remain in Judea as a mere sect of the Jews. But here, back in Romans 11... God says in verse 11 that the Gentiles turning to Christ will provoke the Jews to jealousy. So this is the, what is going to happen as the Gentiles come to the Lord more and more. Uh, the Lord will one day take away the blindness from the Jewish people and they will be provoked to jealousy. They will, and this will be ultimately, and I'll establish this later, to, the restoration, to their restoration to the church of Jesus Christ. That they will be grafted back in, they will be grafted into the church. They will be grafted back in. And they will be provoked to jealousy when the Lord opens their eyes 
And they see that salvation from their God has come through their own scripture and their own Messiah, Jesus Christ, to many peoples. While they have remained in misery from the very time and the very moment that they rejected Christ. And who here has not seen the misery of the Jewish people since the time of their rejection when they they said, let his blood be on us and our children as well. A great hardness has come over them. He says this is not to their total casting away, but one day will cause them to return to the Lord and return to his church and be part of the people of God, that they will be provoked to see the blessings of the Lord showered over the entire earth. And they will finally say, why have we not taken Christ ourselves? Now, this is not just some doctrine that Paul creates. This is based on a very old prophecy found in the Old Testament. Paul had introduced this thought in Romans 10, 19, just before our chapter and why we read it. But I say, did Israel, did not Israel know? First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation will I anger you. That is a citation of Deuteronomy 32 verse 21. He says, God said before the Jews ever entered, before Israel that is, ever entered the promised land, that one day he would provoke them to jealousy through Gentiles. In other words, When Israel after the flesh provokes God, he will provoke them to jealousy by those that the Jews had considered long considered fools and unclean. As they see these people that they had considered unclean be cleansed of their sin while they still remain in their own sin. That these ones who are idolaters and pagans, the Gentiles, God is going to provoke the Jews to jealousy by favoring those who are idolaters those who are unclean in all kinds of their lusts and everything else that the Jews thought that they were so much better than. And they will realize that all these idolaters have smashed their idols while the Jews had created more of their own. And they will be provoked to jealousy one day that the Gentiles had found more blessings in Christ than the Jews have apart from Christ. They will realize that all these new rituals that they have created, all these, um, these, these days and these ceremonies that have nothing to do with the Bible, uh, their vain attempts to try to establish their own righteousness is all folly. And they will realize that the Gentiles all this time have possessed what was promised to them. You know, we're watching even today great miseries come upon the Jews. And have we not watched God pour out, in contrast, rich blessings upon Gentile nations that had turned to the Lord Jesus? Especially nations that have embraced the Reformed and Protestant faiths. Uh, Mark this well. The great nations of the world have been and will always be Christian. All the nations that turn away from Christ uh, end up on the ash heap, ultimately. All the great nations, why is the West so blessed? It's because the West had been given the grace to embrace Christ for so long. We even talk about the residue of Christianity in this nation. Why is this nation so blessed? And why is the Middle East a wreck? Is it because we're better and smarter? No, it's the grace of God that has showered upon this land the knowledge of the Lord. And as we reject it, well, you can understand what will happen as well. So, the Jews are still blind to this fact, but the Lord will provoke them to jealousy. And he promised to do it in Deuteronomy. And the Apostle Paul picks it up under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Now, God's reason, though, for this is not for the ultimate fall of the Jews, but rather that one day they would be drawn to Christ themselves. See, Paul here doesn't prophesy of an ultimate fall of the Jews, but that one day when the time is right, they will be blessed. They will be blessed and they will be drawn to Christ. They will come to their senses. We have rejected and despised our Messiah. And so the apostle says when they realize this, and this is something that we especially take heart, not only will they be blessed, but the whole world will be blessed when the Jews come to their senses. Verse 12 says, 
Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. You know, the world has been blessed in a sense that they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. For the gospel has come even here in Dallas to the ends of the earth because the gospel was ejected in their land. However, the apostle shows that when the Jews do turn to Christ one day, the world will be even more blessed. The world will look in astonishment. It will come, you know, you think about this, the world situation. And one day when the Spirit is poured out on the Jewish people, the world is going to look in astonishment that the Jews that had rejected Christ for over 2,000 years have now turned to him. And the gospel will have greater credibility across the ends of the earth. The gospel will go forth with greater power and efficacy. And the nations will, like dominoes, turn to the Lord of glory. And that is why Paul, at the end of this chapter, for one of the reasons why he has his great doxology as he looks on these things. So the apostle lays out his own desire and his own heart to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Verses 13 to 14. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. And if by any means I may provoke to emulation, that is jealousy, them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Now, this is a great key to the apostles' missionary journeys. This kind of unlocks the missionary endeavor for the apostle personally. His heart was this, to with all his might pour his life to Gentile missions with the aim of what? It would provoke his countrymen, the Jews, to jealousy. That they would see the world turning to Christ and that by his labors he would provoke the Jews and that they might be saved. This was his heart's cry in Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He sees, he knows by the Holy Spirit, God's divine plan. Provoke them to jealousy with Gentile conversions. And that, when we come to the end of our time, for applications of the doctrine is a necessary understanding. Then he shows us more of the glory to come when the Jews turn to the Lord. In verse 15, For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead. Now this is a pivotal verse. It is necessary. It's a key verse to understand. You know, the casting away of the Jews for a time has been to and will be to the reconciliation of the world. And when the Jews are received into the church and mass, it will be after that like the world has arisen from death to life. The gospel will explode and burst in a way that was hitherto unforeseen. It will be like the world has gone from death, spiritual death, to life, such that Christianity, those being born again, are everywhere. And it's like you cannot go to a land without seeing one who is born again. And it'll be like the world will be completely changed. And this is not, some might say, this is the general resurrection. That's not it at all. Because when Paul speaks of the resurrection, he doesn't use this language. The closest he uses to this language speaks of spiritual life from death, being born again. Romans 6.13, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. It's that same language. So he envisions, or the Spirit gives him the vision of what is to come as though the whole earth, Men, women, and children all across the earth. What you see is the norm is men, women, and children being born again. It's as though this world will be transformed spiritually. Again, it's not the end. He's not speaking about those who are resurrected. But a great harvest of souls will come when the Jews enter into the church, like the world is being born again. You know, it makes you wonder, at the ultimate fulfillment of texts like Zechariah 8.23 when we think of the Jews. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take the hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, 
saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Yes, it found its initial fulfillment in the days of the apostles. But you wonder in view of Romans 11 what it will be like in the times to come when the Jews come into the church, where the nations will take hold of converted Jews and say, we will go with you to Jesus Christ. And for that matter, knowing that there isn't just one, uh, that there isn't, there aren't two churches, there's one church. In verses 16 to 24, which we don't have time to fully deal with, the apostle makes this case that there is one church composed of both Jew and Gentile. For the church, he uses the analogy of an olive tree. He shows us that there has always been one olive tree who has its root and source in Christ, seen in the patriarchs. And he says, for a time, branches were broken off, meaning the Jews in their rejection of Christ. And we, who are Gentiles, are being grafted in so that we may partake of the fatness of the gospel. But he says that the Jews can and will be grafted into this same tree when the time is right. But you notice here there is one tree. There is one olive tree. There is one church. And all those who are saved must be a part of it. There is no separate Jewish church. There is no separate Gentile church. There is one church of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All who are saved will enter into it. One way of salvation, and that way of salvation is through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is only one way to God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If a Jew is to be saved, and let us never forget it, It must be that they have come to God through Christ. No salvation outside of Jesus. They must be part of the same body. No Jew is saved outside of faith in Christ. End of story. Let us not assume or say, not assume, definitely don't assume, but it would be blasphemous to say that a Jew is saved outside of Christ. Blasphemy. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ died in vain. But when they put away unbelief, they will be grafted in. And that grafted in will be to their blessing and the blessing of the world. And part of the use of this knowledge, and we must take note of this in the Christian church, is Paul says, do not be haughty against the Jews. You know, there is always the temptation to hate the Jewish people because they have rejected our Savior. But he says, no, you do not be haughty. Rather, you think of yourself as blessed and be in astonishment. And he says, now don't you think that God cannot cast you out uh, of this tree as he has cast out the Jews? He says, be not high-minded, but fear. Fear God and obey God. And obey God in such ways as this, love your enemies as yourselves. Do not be like the Jews who are clouded with unbelief and rejected Christ. And he says, behold the goodness and severity of God in these things. Now all of these things culminate in verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. The blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so what we have heard shows us the purpose as summarized in verse 25. The blindness has come in part because not all Israel is blind. There is a remnant according to grace. Why is there blindness? Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Until whatever God has in his mind, which we are not privy to, whenever the certain portion of the Gentiles come to Christ, the Jews will be blind. That's what he means by the fullness here. Not that all Gentiles come in, but until whatever God's decree is, until that fullness come in, the blindness will be there upon the Jews. And then there will be the blindness removed. And then there will be a great outpouring of the Spirit upon the nations that comes about. And we find that as many peoples, tribes, and tongues come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jews will be provoked And when the Jews are turned, an even greater blessing comes on the earth. And the apostle says, don't be ignorant to this mystery. 
Yet many are. Many are, because we don't dive into what the word says here. In other words, this is a doctrine that you and I are compelled to know. It has, God wants us to know this. Some people think eschatology, you know, some people maybe take it so esoterically that it can be hard. But there are definite things in eschatology God wants you to know for a certain. And this is one of those points of doctrine. This is why this doctrine makes it into our larger catechism under what do we pray for in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, under thy kingdom come. We pray for the Jews to be called because God wants us to know this. We are compelled to know this. Otherwise, we will be wise in our own conceit. And you have seen so many are wise in their own conceit, either on one hand creating all kinds of strange and weird ideas about the Jews, especially in dispensational theology, or on the other hand, cruelly saying that they are forever cast off by God. Or saying that because of their Jewishness, they are saved of God. God wants you to have none of that. He wants you to have the doctrine of Romans 11. Well, with that, and knowing that there are great promises attached to this text, let's consider our final heading, the promise. Verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Here is the promise given to Israel. All Israel shall be saved. And we're talking about ethnic Israel. It doesn't mean, however, each and every person of Israel. Uh, we know that plainly from the Bible because even in, uh, in Paul's time, there are those of ethnic Israel who are not saved. We're clearly reprobate. But it means that a great number Perhaps even the predominant number of Israel will be saved, such that the time is coming when people will look on Israel and say, here are a saved people. Here are a saved people. And, uh, you know, just as one time people looked on places like Scotland and the Netherlands, and they would say that the Scots know the Lord and the Dutch know the Lord. That's a way of speaking. And that's the manner of speaking in which Paul does here, of them being predominantly Christian. And uh, the apostle in, verse, in these verses, verses 26 and 27, cited Isaiah 59, 20 and 21. And he reminds us that God had made a covenant to these people. And God's covenant cannot be broken. And for the sake of the fathers, for the sake of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, he will keep the covenant that he made to the Jewish people. And he reminds us of, in verse 28 and 29, this very fact, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. That's meaning the patriarchs. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God will show benevolence to the Jews because of their fathers who are dearly and deeply beloved. And he says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God will not change his mind on any promise that is ever given. First of all, you and I ought to say hallelujah to that. For great and precious promises are given to us. And so Paul says there has always been a remnant. God has still been faithful. He has not completely cast them off. Just as in the Old Testament, sometimes there's 7,000, sometimes fewer than that, sometimes more. They are blinded just for a time, the whole of them, or the most of them, but not forever because of God's promises. And some take this a bit too far, but he says at this time concerning the gospel, they are enemies. Now, by and large, this is true. Jewish hostility towards Christians still lingers. Uh, in Israel, I was watching a news report, not widely reported, but it is widely experienced, that Christians, when they are known to be Christians, are spat upon quite often by the Jewish people. Not all of them, but a lot of this is fostered by certain rabbis. Uh, Protestant cemeteries have been desecrated by many Jews, Jewish men have urinated on churches. Um, in many ways, they are enemies of the gospel because they are blinded. However, even as enemies, what did Jesus say? Love your enemies and do good to them. 
Christians are to treat Jews with kindness and respect even as we evangelize them. You know, it is not kind to not evangelize them. Some people will, will try to teach you that kind of thing. But our kindness is expressed by, by preaching the word to them. It is the greatest love we can show the Jews. And so in verses 30 and 31, For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Now, this is a very rich text, and uh, let's uh, go through some of it together. Let us not forget we have received mercy from God. Let us never forget that. But by the mercy he has given us, may the Jews receive mercy as they are provoked to jealousy. Their present unbelief is for the glorious purpose that God would have mercy upon all. You know, you think about the chain of redemptive history and how things have transpired according to the wisdom and knowledge of God. Through the blindness of the Jews, we have, as Gentiles, and most of us here are Gentiles, have been saved. Because of their blindness, we have received God's mercy. And through that mercy, we are to extend mercy to the Jews. And when they are provoked by the mercy that we have received, when they are provoked to jealousy, they will be saved. And then greater mercies will be poured out upon the earth and God may have mercy upon all. When you understand the mind of God here, the plan of God for Jew and Gentile, is it any wonder then that the next verses are Paul's memorable doxology? Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. What wisdom is in God for this plan of salvation and for the revival of the whole earth? So here is what we can expect to see according to Romans 11. The gospel will spread through Gentile lands, through missions of the church. Many Gentiles will come to know the Lord. You've seen this in places even like China today. And the Jews will then be provoked to jealousy. Missions to Jews will then be extraordinarily fruitful as the Spirit is poured out upon them. Their eyes will become opened as a people and they will turn to the Lord in great number. Perhaps you might even say an innumerable number of them will be converted to the Lord. And this then will lead to a latter-day glory for the church as Jew and Gentile joined together in one church, embracing each other, and even more peoples around the world will be gathered in. Praise God. And then after a period of time of this, Christ will return and the last days will come to a close. Well, This has been not just the scriptural view, but the Puritan and Scottish Presbyterian view. Uh, It's come straight out of our text, out of the Bible. Uh, You may want to, if you want to know the history of this doctrine throughout the church, uh, Ian Murray has a wonderful little book called The Puritan Hope, uh, in which you can see the history of the church connected to this doctrine and how the church has lived it out. Uh, This has affected greatly Protestant missions. And it is no surprise that Protestant missions are weak, especially Reformed missions, have grown weak and cold in many ways because we've neglected this doctrine. Um, It's interesting, if you read through the older writers, many even believed in a time where it seemed inconceivable that the Jews would regain their homeland. And they didn't see it as necessary, but they saw that this might, be, this might be one way that the Lord might bring a great conversion of the Jews by putting them in one central place. Not so that they can rebuild a temple or anything like that, or restarting sacrifices for that is blasphemous. That would provoke the Lord to jealousy and not the Jews to jealousy. But when the Jews are converted, um, if they remain in this land or in this uh, nation called Israel today, um, what would we expect of their nation? We would expect what we expect of all Gentile nations that turn to the Lord. It will be a Christian nation. 
It will not be predominant. It may be ethnically Jewish, but religiously it will be Christian. That they would have an established national church of their own, a civil government under Christ, a nation like Scotland or the Netherlands, um, Geneva in Reformation days. That would be what Israel would be. Religiously and politically Christian, even if it is a majority ethnically Jewish. And you would have Christ the King, the great Jew himself as king of the nation. Um, not in a physical appearance, but reigning as he does over all nations uh, from heaven above. And you think of this, the Jewish people would cooperate with all Christian peoples for the sake of the gospel. After all, what is the solution to the Jewish-Arab conflict? It is when both Jew and Arab kiss the sun, isn't it? And when the false religions of Judaism, Islam, and secularism are cast off. Well, with time being scarce, let me give you six brief applications before we end. First, the Jews must be converted. This is our hope and our prayer for them. Not that they have found another way outside of Christ. Not that they are okay in their spiritually state now. Our first and main concern for the Jews is the state of their souls. Because right now, let's not make no bones of it. The majority that is outside of the remnant is against Christ. We need to send missions to them and not be satisfied that they are just their Jews. That they're okay or pretend Judaism is biblical in any way. Never speak of Judeo-Christian values. They're not the same. Uh, the values of Israel will be Christian one day. There's no Judeo prefix there. They need Christ. Application two, we need to pray for the promise of our text. As I've already mentioned, the second petition of the Lord's Prayer teaches under thy kingdom come. We are to pray for the ingathering of the Jews, that the Jews would be called. If you want to see and you connect them, they're, they're uh, being brought into the church to the life of and health of the world. If you want to see the glory and good of the earth, pray that the Jews will be ingathered. Pray that the Jews will be ingathered. This is God's promise that they will, and we are to pray that what he has promised will come to pass. Application three, remember Paul's burden and instruction and consider then Gentile missions are necessary. That the, provoke, the provocation of the Jews to jealousy occurs when what happens the Gentiles are converted. We want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And so gospel missions must be sent with fervency to Gentile nations. We want that blessed day to come when the Jews have their blindness removed and their eyes are opened at first and they look on the world and they see Gentile nation after Gentile nation blessed. And they say, what? That is our birthright under the covenant all those blessings. And we want them provoked to jealousy that they have, as Esau had done once, despised their birthright. And that they finally would see the truth of Psalm 144.15. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Seeing the promises of our chapter had been the reason for the great missionary endeavors of the 17th and 18th centuries of Protestants, of Reformed. You know, it's very interesting. You read some of the accounts of why um, men wanted to send uh, missions to the American Indians. And they had the Jews in mind. And that might strike you as weird, not like in a Mormon weird way, but in a, in a strange way in which they said, what is going to happen to the Jew when they see, you know, and this is what we would say of them at the time, when the savages are turned to Christ and they become ministers of God. What will the Jews say then? And this is why American Indian missions were undertaken by so many Reformed people. That the Jews would be provoked to jealousy. That when tribal peoples come into salvation, they said, should this not provoke the Jews? So we ought to be fervent in missions to Gentile lands as well as the Jews. Fourth, we ought to be very diligent to reform the Christian church. No Jew is going to, humanly speaking, walk into a church full of idolatry, full of pictures of God and blasphemous pictures of Jesus Christ. They know the second commandment. 
They know that much. They know that much. So we are to reform unbiblical practices. You know, they also know, blessedly, and it's still sung in their synagogues, the songs of Zion. The songs of Zion. Uh, Let us take up the language of Zion then. This is their native language in song, so to speak. When the psalms are sung predominantly as they once were in the Christian church, the Jews will know that their own Messiah is found in these places. How sweet it is that Jew and Gentile will sing the same songs to the Lord. And so we need to move to reform our churches of idolatrous practices that the Jews will be comfortable embracing their true Redeemer. Fifth, applications. And uh, this might be one of the painful ones to people who are born in a certain place and time or in a certain kind of church. We cannot maintain an uncritical eye on the secular nation state of Israel. Right? Um, Dispensationalism has warped our view of the Jews in a way Paul would in no way recognize. And we find ourselves ignoring the plight of millions of Christians especially Arab Christians around the world, but the United States funnels billions of dollars to an ungodly state. That is hardly righteous. Our first remembrance ought to be, wait, there are Christians in both Israel and Palestine, and let us think of our brethren. And yet they often feel abandoned by Christian majorities. And the point is this, you know, we're not saying Israel cannot defend herself or anything ungodly like that. What I'm saying is we ought not ne- never take the stance that whatever Israel does is right and proper. Atrocities on either side are to be condemned. Nations are to protect their people, so Israel has that right, but they are also to follow just and righteous war practices. And we're not to just have... Uh, just ignore the plight of Christians. When was the last time our government had any care for the Christians in the midst of all of this? As the church, let us not fall into that trap and, and support instead those who are at this time the enemies of the gospel by ignoring those who are brethren. The sixth application is this, and it's the last one I'll consider tonight, is to be hopeful for the future of the church. You know, there's so much, so much pessimism over the state of the church. And again, dispensationalism has brought this because it teaches that the world is going to get worse and worse. And yes, maybe there's room for you know, an end times kind of apostasy before the end comes. But dispensationalism believes that this world is going to get worse and worse overall. And every time there's a war then, they think, oh, the end is nigh. And we may be at a low point, historically speaking, in the church. But what Romans 11 teaches is the latter day glory will be far more glorious than anything the church has ever experienced thus far. And we know we haven't experienced it because the Jews are still majority blinded. And we know we will usher in or God will usher in the latter day glory when the Jews have their eyes opened. And so we see that there will be great blessings poured out to the world. And so if the church knew Romans 11 well, and Paul says, do not be ignorant of this mystery, we would not have a bunker mentality at all. We would not retreat. We would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I'll say, many of us have an optimistic eschatology, maybe based on Romans 11 and other places, But it is one thing to have an optimistic theology in the mind, and it's another to live it out. That requires prayer. When have you prayed for these things? It requires missions. When have you supported such things? It requires evangelism. When have you been involved in such things? Not even you necessarily directly at some times, but supporting such things. And it also requires a conduct towards both Jew and Gentile that has often been lacking in the airs of hopeful and not gloomy eschatology. This text should drive us to missions in a great way. And the final application is rather personal, and it deals with you and me. If the Lord has no problem casting off his ancient people for unbelief, what of you and me? Let us fear, if you don't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if he will do this, to his people who did not believe on him, how 
much less of a standing do we have if we will not flee to the Redeemer for fa- uh, in faith for salvation. We are to flee to Christ. Christ is the only Savior of men, whether he be a man or woman, be Jew or Gentile. There is no other place you are to turn to the Lord or face his wrath. But all who turn to the Lord Jesus, be they Jew or Gentile, this is the wonderful news of the gospel, will be saved. Whatever you are, whatever ethnicity you are, whatever kind of sinner you are, all who turn to the Lord will be saved. This is the promise of the word, and I pray that your blindness, if you are blind to it, has been removed today by the Lord. And this is God's promise. And if this chapter has taught us nothing, friends, it is that God is no liar and he keeps his promises. Oh, take up the doxology at the end of our chapter, as you know, the plan of salvation. So, brethren, the Lord has revealed a mystery to us in the scripture today. May you and I walk in light of it, knowing that the Lord is still at work in this world. Prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. Prophecies in this text and in other places. But they are being fulfilled and they will be fulfilled because all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. And these will come to pass just as all the promises in the Old Testament uh, come to pass in Christ. So too will all these promises that we have read in Romans chapter 11. And so we know that greater glory is yet to come when the Jews do turn to Jesus and they will. This is God's promise. So may we all cry out after hearing the revelation of the mystery of the Jews' present hardness. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Amen. May God bless our meditation on these things. Let us arise for prayer, if able.